Hey, this is Matt Stacy, youth pastor at New Life, and this is our podcast. I hope that the preaching and teaching you listen to here encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with God. This podcast is a ministry of New Life, and as such, is completely free to the listener. That being said, if you feel led to give to this ministry, we want to make that available to you. You can text GIVE to 833-793-0451. You can also give online through the Tithely app by searching New Life Tabernacle. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the message. good to be in the house of the Lord. Again, amen, after missing for a couple of weeks. We are in Revelation 15, lesson 27 of our study. If you wouldn't mind praying with me over this Bible study, we'll dig right in. Jesus, we thank you so much for another opportunity to open your word, to study your word. Lord, I ask that you would help me to say everything that you would have me to say. Help me to teach in a way that you can anoint. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Let the seed of your word fall on good ground tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I was saying, we are in our 27th lesson of our study of the book of Revelation few more chapters left to study. And then we will be going into uh, a study of the book of Philippians after our study of the book of Revelation. But that's, that's down the road. We still have a few more studies left in the book of Revelation. Last week, we looked at chapter, the end rather, of chapter 14 of the book of Revelation. It wasn't last week, it was the week before last. And uh, during that study, John saw a vision of the, and it's, and it's one of the most sobering uh, portions of the Bible. John sees a vision of the enemies of God being reaped, he says like a farmer that is reaping wheat, taking a sickle to the wheat. He sees the enemies of God on earth being reaped. Then we studied further down. John sees a uh, a vision, if you will, of Armageddon with the vision of the wine press. If you remember, he, he, he likens it as unto a wine press, the enemies of God being being stomped, blood is going to flow uh, as high as the horse's bridle. Something that was a theme last time we were we met, and will also be a theme tonight, is this idea that judgment is slow. And judgment is slow. But judgment is sure. It's not here yet, but it's coming. And it's easy to get into the mindset that it's not coming, Brother Jeff. That all that there is is this life that we're living right now. But there's more to life than just this life. There is judgment that is coming. And that's why it's important to read the book of Revelation. 
we talked about, I want to stress it again. If you are baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, living a life pleasing unto the Lord, you don't have to fear anything in the book of Revelation. But the book of Revelation is to be feared by someone. Who is that someone? Those who are uh, in rebellion against God and His Word. In rebellion against God and His ways. And that's what we're looking at tonight. Chapter 15 of the book of Revelation. 14 was a break. We talked about this in the chronology. Uh, the, the, so far, the, the book of Revelation has been events, showing us events in chronological order. And then uh, chapter 14 comes along and kind of gives us a break from that. Well, chapter 15 is a start again of the chronological order of the end times. The wrath of God is getting ready to be poured out. And there's a powerful scene in heaven that's going to be witnessed in this chapter that we're looking at tonight. Let's go ahead and begin with verse number 1. Chapter 15. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Amen. So John says that he sees another great sign. This is actually the third, if you remember, the third great sign that he sees. If you remember back in chapter 12, uh, John saw a great wonder in heaven or a great sign in heaven. And if you remember what that was, is it was a lady and it was the dragon that was revealed. Uh, we, we talked about how that lady represents Israel. We went over all the, the details as to why that would be. And the dragon represents the beast or the Antichrist uh, in the last days. So those were two signs. Now John says that he sees another great sign in the heavens. And what was the great sign that he sees? He sees seven angels... And they have seven, seven plagues. They're carrying seven vials full of the wrath of God. That's why it's important that we remember that judgment is coming. You look at the word plague, uh, many people read that and they say disease, right? Disease is coming to the earth. And it's very easy to think, well, coronavirus is taking over the world. So, my God, we're living in the, the seven vials right here, chapter 15 of the book of Revelation. Well, that's why it's important to look in the original language. In the original language, plague, it's actually plague A, and it means a blow or a wound. So what's coming, what these seven angels are bringing are, are seven blows, severe blows or severe wounds. They're coming, uh, and these blows and these wounds are going to affect the people that is on the earth during this last time. It's, it's going to be the greatest outpouring of the wrath of God that the world has ever seen. And whenever I say that, it's important to remember from the very first um, trumpet that was blown until now as we, as we are getting ready to look at the seven final vials that's getting ready to be poured out uh, on the world, all of them that word is there. It's that great blow that's, that's happening. It's, it's the wrath of God that's being poured out from the first trumpet until uh, now. 
great blows that are taking uh, the world. Verse number two, and I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. I, I absolutely love this picture that John gives us. So what's happening? We have a multitude and we have the sea of glass. John sees the sea of glass. And if you remember, this goes all the way back to chapter 4. In chapter 4, whenever he first sees this vision of heaven, he sees uh, a sea of glass. But when he saw it in chapter 4, it reflected like as of crystal, representing the glory of God. Here, the reflection that John sees is no longer crystal. He doesn't see crystal in the glass. He sees fire in the glass. And that's very important. It's very important. Why? Because something has changed. From John's original picture of the glory of God uh, being represented until now where he sees the fire of God reflecting off of the crystal. And we ask the question then, who are the people standing on this sea of glass with the fire reflecting off of it? The answer to that question is why we see fire reflecting uh, from God. And what is that fire? It's the wrath of God. It's the judgment of God. It's the anger of God. It's that side of God that we don't like to talk about anymore. 2022. It's that side of our Lord, and this is Jesus. It's that side of Him that we want to, too many times, act like doesn't exist. But it does exist. And in order to have a complete understanding of Jesus, we have to talk about this side of Him as well. So who are the people that's standing there uh, on this sea of glass that is reflecting fire? The Bible says it's those who refused to bow to Satan and his Antichrist. So standing here, and this is such, this is such a, an incredible picture. You've got the, you've got the sea of glass. You've got the Lord standing over the sea of glass and you've got the multitude there. And who is the multitude? The multitude are those that refuse to bow to Satan during the great tribulation. These are tribulation saints. And what are they standing before? They're standing before literally a God of wrath. We discussed earlier in our study of Revelation how uh, the Lord says that vengeance is mine. It's His, and that He's going to take vengeance upon the earth. It's that idea of judgment. So He's standing before these people, these people who refuse to bow, these people who are committed to Him, these people who refuse to take the mark of the beast. Everyone's afraid of accidentally taking the mark. There can be no accidental taking of it. There will be either you take it or you die. Those are the options. Either you stay committed to the Lord or you commit to the Antichrist. These people standing before the Lord on this sea of glass are those that had the courage that in the, in the hour of their greatest temptation, of their greatest trial, they had the courage to stand. It's reminiscent of the three Hebrew boys, isn't it? When everyone there bowed before the image, but the three Hebrew boys said, we won't bow. We serve only the Lord. Here we have these people. It's not just three this time. It's multitudes. And they refuse to bow. 
quote from Jim Elliott. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. These people that are standing on this sea of glass made a decision. And their decision was simply this. Our life on this earth is not worth as much as life to come. We're going to live in eternity somewhere. And they made the right decision. Amen. Before we go on, I wanted to make sure that I didn't have any more uh, slide. We got to ask the question here then. I'm always looking for ways to apply this this study to us today. Because it's more than just a future aspect. Because it's easy when you're looking at the book of Revelation and you're thinking, that's years in the future. It may be a hundred years in the future. It's hard to, how does this apply to us today? Well, these people face three kinds of pressure. First, they faced political pressure. Kind of political pressure. From the beast, his military, and his government. We're going to face political pressure in this day. And it's easy as the American church to get caught up in this idea of it'll never happen here. But currently it's happening everywhere else. Overseas right now we're seeing draconian uh, tactics used against the church of the living God. If you've, if you've paid attention to it at all, right under the noses of, of good thinking people, right to the north of America in that great country, Canada, has just passed a law outlawing the teaching of biblical sexual ethics. What does that mean? That means that a pastor cannot get up and teach what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1. He cannot get up and teach what the Bible teaches uh, in, in Deuteronomy 22. When God calls certain sexual acts abominations. If a pastor gets up in Canada today, now this is not 100 years from now, this was not 100 years ago, that's today in 2022, you need to pray for apostolic pastors in Canada. If they get up and they preach about sexual ethics, biblical ethics, what God says that it's supposed to be one man and one woman for the rest of their lives, they could be jailed over that today, right next to us in Canada. So it's easy to say, well, these people are going to face political pressure, and it's true, and the pressure that they're going to face is going to be far greater than any pressure that we could face today. Yet it is also true that we today are going to face pressure. And we've got to have it made up in our minds that no matter what pressure the world bears against the church, it's settled in our hearts and our spirits and our minds. We're going to stand on the Word of God. They can outlaw whatever they want to outlaw. We're going to stand on the Word of God. YouTube just uh, labeled a preacher in America, not in Canada, in America. A preacher got up there uh, behind the pulpit, and uh, he said, and he's, he's a popular uh, preacher, and he said that there's only uh, men and there's women, and God created you that way, and, and, and that's the end of the discussion. And YouTube, they labeled his sermon hate speech. It's not a hundred years from now. That just happened. 
Those are the forces that are at work in our world. So we can't just, we can't just read what's going to happen in the book of Revelation and then just decide that we're safe today. We're not. We've got to have it made up in our minds and our hearts and our spirits that we're going to stand. Not only did they face political pressure, they faced religious pressure. What do you mean by religious pressure? I mean, the beast was performing miracles. He made a rock, literally a rock, speak. Revelation suggests that he suffers a wound that should have killed him, but he lives. When I talk about religious pressure, I'm talking about if we don't have discernment, and this is talking about today, there are movements right now, there is a push right now for pseudo-spirituality, fake spirituality. Give us a sign. Give us a wonder. We can't have a church. We can't have a move of God unless there are signs and there are wonders. And we believe in, in biblical miracle signs and wonders. But if we're not careful, that's all we'll seek after and we'll miss Jesus. And these people right here, they faced religious pressure. Because what do you do, Brother Jeff, when there's someone out there performing miracle signs and wonders, but he's not Jesus? And he's not submitted to Jesus. In fact, he's anti-Jesus. Can you still stand? Can you still have the courage to say, I realize he's performing miracles, but that's not the will of God. I stand on the word of God. We may have to live through a day like that. They faced religious pressure. Thirdly, they faced economic pressure. What do I mean by that? If they didn't take the mark of the beast, they were not allowed to buy or sell. We're getting close to that right now. In New York City, you've got to have a vaccine passport in order uh, to go anywhere. You've got to prove that you've been vaccinated. I don't, the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there are forces at work right now in our world. I don't know if you've ever heard of ESG. Banks are uniting under this right now. ESG, what that is, is it basically it's a social credit score. And they're not able to do it right now, but they're trying to, to, to work it in to where what they will do is they will decide not so much on whether or not you can pay a loan back, but whether or not that loan is environmentally and socially friendly. So you go to church. So you go to a Bible-believing church. So you go to a church that preaches a biblical sexual ethics. We're not going to give a loan to you. You don't fit the requirement. You laugh at that. You say, well, that's impossible. Not, not 100 years from now. Not 100 years ago. Right now in China, they have what's called a social credit score. In you're in China, you've got a social credit score. And how do they monitor that? How do they grade that? Based on how environmentally friendly, uh, how, how well, how friendly you are to the government. Do you ever say anything against the government? We're going to take a few points away from you. You just spoke against the government. We're going to take this away from you. It's called a social credit score. This stuff's happening right now. Economic pressure. We've got to make it up in our hearts, in our minds, not a hundred years from now, not what they're facing. And, I, and like I said, they're going to be facing a, a, a hundred times worse than what we're facing, but we are facing something. 
And we've got to decide, I'd rather live for God. I'd rather stand on His Word. In spite of the pressure, they found the courage to stand, and we must do so today. We must find the courage and pray for the courage to stand. I hope the same could be said about us. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy works, thy King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Two songs are mentioned here. First, it's the song of Moses. It's found in Exodus 15, 1 through 18. It's the first song that is recorded in all of Scripture. What song is it? It's a song of victory and it's a song of deliverance. When God leads them through the Red Sea on dry ground, when God brings down the Red Sea upon their enemies, when they get to the other side, they stop and they celebrate the goodness of God, the mightiness of God, the victory and the deliverance that God gave them. This song is still being sung in heaven. But then... John listens in. John's familiar with that song. He's heard that song before. But as he's listening in, he hears another song. The other song is the song of the Lamb. It's a new song, he says. They're singing a new song. These saints that are there, that are in heaven. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou king of saints. This is, this is, this is incredible. Just and true, great and marvelous. Who is it that is singing this song? It's those that didn't survive, brother Jeff. They were martyred during the great tribulation. And what is the new song that they're singing? They're singing, great and marvelous are thy works. Just and true are thy ways. No bitterness in heaven. No, no feeling of, God, why didn't you save us? Why didn't you keep this from happening? Why didn't you stop this from happening to us? Instead, there is this singing, there is this affirmation that great and marvelous are thy works and just and true are thy ways. God, you didn't keep us from the tribulation, but we thank you anyways. We were murdered in the middle of it, but we give you glory anyways. Just and true are thy ways. And we're living in a day right now, we're not facing the great tribulation, but there is such a temptation to get angry with God whenever one thing doesn't go our way. When we pray and the healing doesn't come, or we pray and the financial blessing doesn't come, there's something inside of us that kind of pushes back against that because we believe that, you know, God's got to answer our every, our every cry, our every prayer. But what about these people? God didn't pull them out of the fire. And instead, whenever they get to heaven, there's no time for bitterness and anger. All they say is, Lord, you are just, you are righteous, you are true, you are great and marvelous. I love that. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. 
God didn't lose an inch of his wonder. God didn't lose even a little bit of his holiness because he didn't stop them from that hour of temptation, from that hour of their greatest trial. But instead, they still sing when they get there how holy he is. All nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Incredible. What a day that's going to be. That's the new song, the song of the Lamb that is being sung. Let's look at Revelation 15, 5 through 8 really quickly. And after that I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony and heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. What a great closing scene that is taking place here in heaven. John sees the temple. See if we have that up here. Yeah. John sees the temple in heaven and it opens. Out of the temple come seven angels and those seven plagues. They're given the seven plagues, the seven vials that are full of the wrath of God. No doubt this temple that John sees is similar to to the temple that would have been still standing uh, when Jesus walked the earth and then get it got destroyed or knocked down in AD 70. The writing of Revelation was around AD 90. But there it's a mirror image of the one that's going to be in heaven. So John sees this temple in heaven and out of the temple, if you remember, uh, the only uh, person who could go into the Holy of Holies was uh, the high priest and he could only do it once a, once a year because uh, of being afraid of the holiness of God. These seven angels, though, come out of the temple. And what does this represent? To me, this represents the fact that the judgment that is coming comes from the holiness of God. The angels that are... And, and think about this, too. What are angels? What are, what are they designed to do? They are ministering spirits, the Bible says. They're literally created to minister to the people of God. That's what they're designed to do. But they also have another task. When you're right with God, the angels of heaven are on your side. When you're not right with God, it's the angels of heaven that are going to be dispatched to bring the wrath and judgment of God across the earth. So those angels, uh, they come out of the holy place. They come out of the temple. And they're bringing with them the wrath of God. Judgment coming from the holiness of God and the justice of God. God cannot be holy and He cannot be just if He doesn't do this. If this isn't how the world ends up, He cannot be holy, He cannot be just. But because He's able to, to do this, to pour out His wrath, He is holy. He is just. Next thing that happens, we get this answer, this question. Why does evil seemingly 
go unpunished? It's that age-old question, right? A couple of us were talking about this the other day. Why does it seem like sometimes that not only does evil not go unpunished, but often it seems like those that are doing evil are getting the promotions and they're getting the, can I call it blessings? It looks like everything's going right for those people that are doing the most wrong. And why is that? And it's easy to ask this question and allow this question to get inside of our spirit. But Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 15, and what's getting ready to happen is an answer to that age-old question. Delayed judgment does not mean no judgment. Just because judgment is slow does not mean that judgment is not sure. It is sure and it cannot be stopped. That's the answer to this age-old question. This is why it has to happen. Because evil is not going unpunished. Evil is not winning. It looks like they're winning now. But there's coming a day when God is going to pour out His wrath on all those that rebelled against Him. Amen. And I want to say tonight that this is not hate speech. Just in case the overlords that be in America don't like what's being taught. This is not hate speech. This is love speech. You can't say that you love somebody whom you do not warn. If you don't warn them about the wrath of God that's coming, how can you honestly say that you love someone? If your child is getting ready to put his hand on a hot coal and you don't warn them, how can you honestly say that you love that child? There's not a parent in this place that wouldn't quickly grab the hand of the child or do their very best to keep them from it. Why is it that we don't allow kids just to run freely in the road without warning them of the danger that is involved in being in the road? You do it out of love, out of a, out of a protectiveness of your child. In the same way, we cannot say that we love the world unless we're willing to deal with the difficult subjects in the Word of God. Amen. Judgment is sure. It's coming. In conclusion, if you want to stand, the music would like to come. We ended last week, and I, and I said that um, this theme is going to be here for the next few weeks. We ended last week along similar lines, and I, or not last week, but the week before last, and I just want to bring it up again. God's promises are sure, and judgment is coming. It's not here yet, though. It's coming, it's on its way, but it's not here yet. So what's our obligation in the meantime? It's not fear. It's not to be afraid. Our obligation is to reach and pray for and pull as many people as we can into the kingdom of God. Reaching for people, reaching for lost loved ones. Everyone that is in this place tonight, there's no one exempt from this. If we close our eyes, if we think about it, we all know somebody. Somebody that's lost. Somebody that this applies to. Maybe it doesn't apply to us if we're living right, if we've been saved, if we've been water baptized, filled with the Spirit, living pleasing unto the Lord. It doesn't apply to us, but it applies to somebody. It applies to the cashier at the store. It applies to the waiter and the waitress at the restaurant. 
It applies to my cousins that don't know God and my friends that, that are away from God. It applies to people that I love that have walked away from the truth. It applies to somebody. It's not here yet. The trumpet hasn't blown. Jesus hasn't come calling us home yet. So it's important that we don't get distracted in this hour. And no, I'm not telling you to go beat down every door around you, but I'm asking you, when's the last time that thinking about the lost state of a loved one or a friend or the, or the person that you know down the street, when's the last time that that drove you to a place of prayer? Where you ask God sincerely, Lord, whatever you've got to do, save them, draw them into righteousness. Let the goodness of God draw them to repentance. When's the last time? Studying the book of Revelation, it's practical. Don't let people lie to you and say, well, that book's not practical. That's just too deep. People don't understand it. It's really simple. Judgment's coming. And there are people that are lost. And it's our job. Who has he committed the ministry of reconciliation to? To us. We've got to start reaching for people. God's going to fill this church up with people, with hungry people, people that are hungry for a move of God and hungry for the word of God and hungry for the presence of God. He's going to fill the new building that we're going to build in Jesus' name up with people that are hungry for the word of God and for a move of God. It's going to happen, but how's it going to happen? It's going to happen when we start getting hungry for lost souls to come into this place and we start reaching for them and loving them back into the church and warning them back. I wonder if we could just find a place to pray. I know it just got heavy right here at the end. Let's find a place to pray. Let's pray for a lost loved one. Let's pray for a lost soul tonight. If it's you that's in the need, pray for yourself. Pray for your soul. If it's not you, then pray for somebody. Pray that God would stir somebody. You can pray at this altar. You can pray where you're at, but pray somewhere. Pray for a lost soul. Pray for somebody that needs Jesus. Could you do that right now?